from Relay FM. This is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. It'd be weird if it was about the past. This is episode 20, recorded June 14th, 2022. I'm Jason Snell, and joined as always by Director of Strategy at Parrot Analytics. <laughs> love that title. It's Julia Alexander. You know her, you love her. Hi. Hey, Jason. How are you? I can't believe we're on episode 20. 20. Isn't that something? Wild. Wild. Yeah, we're coming up to about we're coming up to about a year since we did our, our our sort of upgrade episode that was kind of the test for this too. So it's been about a year, a year, and yet it feels like forever because there's so much going on. <laughs> I also want to say happy Pride to you and to everybody else out there who celebrates June as Pride Month. I was just at a Giants game. There's lots of uh, the, the Giants and the Dodgers played a game over the weekend where they both wore their Pride uh, Pride outfits, uh, like their like hats with the rainbow on it and stuff. And it's the Aww. first time that two baseball teams have both joined together for a pride celebration it was pretty cool good for them I, honestly yeah. in san francisco i mean you would expect it to be in the city yeah, I, I like that the yeah. dodgers who are on the road there also did it that was kind of yes. cool too I, yes. I thought that was a, a nice gesture on their part too all right let's dive in we have so much to talk about so much going on every time i start making our show notes i'm like yeah <laughs> We'll just read letters this week. It's like, no, 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 we won't. We won't. There's so much going on. Uh, I have a little follow-up about the uh, uh, Netflix password uh, crackdown in Latin America <laughs> that uh, they're testing out this thing that we've talked about where it's like, well, can we detect you know, people using Netflix out of a, the home that it's usually in and, like, and try to stop password sharing in some way? And we'll put a link in the show notes to this story from Rest of World uh, which is a great, uh, great concept for a uh, for a blog. Uh, it's it's a global tech related story, so it's basically like everything that's the U.S. centric uh, model. These guys are like, nope, <laughs> we're going to do everything yeah, this else. It's so a they, great website. Yeah, so they talk to people. It shared it. Yeah, they, so they talk to people in uh, in Peru. So thank you, by the way, I should say to our listener uh, Ryan. Listener Ryan sent this in. Um, and so they talked to people in Peru about how it's going down there uh, with the Netflix password crackdown. And guess what? It's not great. Uh, first off, it's definitely the case that Netflix doesn't think that if your kid goes off to college, uh, they should use your password. They should get their own Netflix account, which I think is uh, ridiculous. Uh, but that's what they're trying to do. And they're trying to do various kind of crackdown things. And they've got the like update where you can like get a new account and pay a, le- a smaller fee. And without going into the details, they are testing this. This is all, this is why they test it. But just to say, you can read the story if you want. Uh, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of consumer anger. And now there's also, as you might expect, some government investigation about some of the mm. the ways that Netflix is hand, handling their different pricing. So um, just wanted to put a link uh, to that story and say, we will keep watching Netflix's tests. But again, (laughs) this is why they didn't roll this out in one of their very large, very lucrative markets, because they need to figure out how to how they should execute this. If it works, what works and what doesn't. And when they're going to take their lumps, I'm sure they would rather take their lumps in Peru than in the United States. So that sorry to Peru. Sucks for you. It really does. <laughs> but that's where we are with the Netflix uh, password crackdown. Small batch experimentation. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. So it's going great is what I'm saying. <laughs> so thank you uh, to Ryan and to Rest of World for writing that story. Um, uh, moving on to some uh, some bigger topics then. It's yep. We're, we're, that's where we are now. Uh, we, as we talked about last time, the big the big guns came out. Stranger Things dropped on Netflix. Obi-Wan Kenobi dropped uh, on Disney Plus. Um, Ms. Marvel premiered, too, which I want to get to in a second. Yeah. But I wanted to check in with you. I, I know you uh, you were on a podcast about this and then you've had some thoughts about this. Like, where where are we now that we're now that the premieres have happened? Uh, what are your observations about the kind of head to head of these two big uh, high ticket <laughs> uh, uh, streaming drops, Stranger Things and Kenobi? I mean, it's really fun, right? I, it is I, fun. Like, it's it's we're at a point with streaming now that feels that, that feels like there's an energy that used to be reserved for theatrical mainly, and then and then some linear, some cable, like the Sunday Night Showdown. But this is the summer really, blockbusters drop in here, it's right? The summer blockbusters, and they're dropping on streaming, and it's this very and what I think is really exciting about it happening now, especially between Netflix and Disney. So you've got these kind of major streaming services, both with north of 100, you know, 120 million minimum subscribers, there's this global presence. And 
What's really fun is we get to see the experimentation in action between the weekly release, the binge release, um, the the split season release. So Stranger Things will come back in July and they just dropped uh, photos for the upcoming part two of the season. And so everyone's talking about it again and the hype is there. And so it feels like this very spectacular moment. The only thing I can really compare to is back about six, seven years ago when the movie studios that focus on superhero movies realized that the summer was getting really, really chaotic and they would push back to like March. Like they started right. going into like spring and they're like, oh, we'll do March, April, May, and then we'll have a spring kickoff into the summer blockbuster. And this kind of feels like that moment where Stranger Things and Obi-Wan are setting the stage as we get into Ms. Marvel, as we get into Andor, as we get into She-Hulk, as we get into um, Rise of the Dragon uh, and, and all the other shows, Lord of the Rings, of course. Sure. Um, so, I mean, there. What, what do we know about these shows? Like, That's the question. Like, OK, these shows have been out. Jason and Julie are talking about it. Cool. What are these shows doing? The answer is we know that they're doing pretty well. The demand for both series is exceptional off the chart. The people who, uh, in terms of numbers, we don't have specific numbers for everything, but we do know that they both secured more than a billion minutes viewed in their opening weekend. We know that Stranger Things has been seen like something like 650 million. There's something like 650 million hours viewed. There's probably way more than that. That was like last week, and I'm sure there's even more by now. Um, so both are extremely successful. I think. If we if we think of it as a showdown, if we think of it in terms of like who's winning in the spirit of like the NBA championships happening and and the Stanley Cup, uh, Stranger Things definitely is outpacing Obi-Wan. We can see this with in terms of conversation and public awareness. We can see this in terms of reviews like Stranger Things skews more positive than Obi-Wan. We can see this in terms of general demand. The demand for Stranger Things is approaching levels that we saw at Parrot Analytics with Spider-Man No Way Home, which is extremely impressive. Wow, yeah. And Obi-Wan is kind of another Star Wars show, right? Like it's a very, it, 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 it's in demand. It's a big success for Disney Plus, but it's kind of like, oh yeah, like there's, they're back on Tatooine for a minute. Like this is Star Wars. Like we're kind of getting what we were getting to an extent out of Boba Fett and some other stuff. Um, and so I think that parlay of like, oh, this is what we've kind of come to expect from Disney with Star Wars almost brings down the excitement around it. Mm. You know, I was tweeting about this, like it, Star Wars is the most, it, the, what, what Disney is doing with Star Wars on Disney Plus is the most conservative approach to a franchise in terms of like, they don't really want to experiment beyond what they kind of know works. And it breaks my heart because if there's any sandbox that is built to, to experiment in, it is Star Wars. Like it right. is like there's a whole galaxy where you can kind of have fun with it the same way you can with Star Trek and others. Um, and I think with Stranger Things, there was this sense of like, oh, this is really fun again. They're experimenting with how they want to do the big bad this season. They're experimenting with introducing more lore and the teenagers are now teenagers like like the kids are now teenagers rather. So there's a lot more fun and a lot more excitement happening in that series. Whereas Obi-Wan, which is great, like I really love it. Is kind of like, oh, yeah, like like there's a Star Wars show, but we've had like a weekly Star Wars show for two years. It's kind of like, oh, well, yeah, this is kind of more or less the same thing. And I think we're seeing that almost um, I don't use the word bore, but I think we're starting to see that kind of understanding within the audience and the audience expectations where it's like, well, I'm going to watch the Star Wars show because it's Star Wars. But this thing over here on Netflix actually feels really special. And that's what's getting me really, really hyped up. So I think come July 1st. We're going to see an even bigger peak than we saw with the current episodes that dropped. Um, so I think I think Stranger Things wins early, early summer. That's kind of my prediction is, you know, last week I told Matt, uh, Matt Bellany, that I, I think Obi-Wan may be able to overtake just because of the weekly. We see that with weekly, it tends to overtake at some point the binge model. Uh, but I think Stranger Things with the split season and the level of demand that just keeps accruing. I think it's going to it's the breakout of the summer, at least until August. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a funny kind of catch 22, because on one level, the reason that Stranger Things, I think, feels more special is because it is more special. It's been a while since Stranger Things came out and it's something that's been around for years and it's kind of beloved where Star Wars is a product line now. Right. So how special is any individual release from a product line? Even like if Obi-Wan was the first Star Wars TV show and it was like, oh, my God, and it's Ewan McGregor and they're going, you know, they're going to follow up that story. And like everybody would be like, wow, this is but but it's not it's in the in the steps. And this is not a bad thing. It's in the steps of Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett and there are the animated series and like there's a lot going on 
um there too so it's just it's it's different and and the i'm i'm not sure that netflix wouldn't trade some of the attention of stranger things for the bigger franchise of star wars but they're just kind of different beasts a little bit and i think they i think they both they they're both doing well and people are like you said are 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 really interested in both i want to point people we'll put a link in the show notes to this vanity fair story about the acolyte which is a star wars series in development obviously far enough along in development that they um allowed vanity fair to write about it in detail and i think what's interesting about it is that uh it's a leslie headland is the is the showrunner and she this sounds like what you're describing which is a show that is is not is experimental in a way for star wars that they haven't done before where it's sort of like leslie headland had a vision for what she wanted to do it's set in an era that star wars hasn't tackled before it's got a different kind of set of characters and a different take on like jedi and sith and all of that and they're kind of hinting that maybe the bad guys are the are the protagonists which is also interesting and i don't know again it's hype and for a show that doesn't exist yet but I feel like maybe one of the reasons that that Lucasfilm put this out there and granted this interviews and lifted the cloak on a show that's in development is that they wanted to send the message that they are trying some different stuff with Star Wars and it isn't all just going to be, uh, you know, people in Mandalorian armor mm-hmm. and familiar characters from f- previous films, which is sort of all that it's been up to now. Yeah, it's been a giant nostalgia play i mean which has been kind of that's, the true story for star wars i mean for, for since, the last two decades since, but since 1985 since yeah nine, yeah like it's just been that's a kind of constant thing that it does but I, I really like your line about it kind of being a star wars being a, a product line at this point before jason and i got started i was giving him some of my woes on my apple products and jason's <laughs> the guy that i go to with my woes on yeah. apple products it's like keep and making I, me spend money and i'm like yeah that's why they got all the money <laughs> and, and and the thing is i think you know thinking about kind of what we've seen with mando which i really like and seeing what we've seen with Boba Fett I actually have I, I love that you said the product line Jason because I'm, I'm struck with the same feeling of whenever there's a new iPhone over the last two years where I'm like yeah yeah like there's new camera <laughs> like yeah. like it seems kind of cool but there's no big redesign and although I like it like if I had if I'm spending like every year if I'm going to upgrade like it's going to be a new iPhone I'm not necessarily excited about it versus like you see like a new redesign for an iPhone like I can't remember, remember what the last one was but it was that moment of like oh, yeah, like, this is great. Like, this is something that I'm really, really excited about. And I think yeah. you're uh, absolutely right. Uh, Netflix would love to have a Star Wars and would trade every th- many of its things in order to say, like, we have what is essentially like a, a safety net. We have this guaranteed series that no matter what we put, I mean, we look at Obi-Wan, right? Even though people are are critically um, split on it, there's some people who really love it. Some people who think it's a little bit too boring. They're still watching it. Everyone I know who doesn't like it is still watching it. And they're kind of going to it and they're like, well, I'm going to watch the next Star Wars thing because it's Star Wars. Um, same with Marvel. People who didn't, weren't necessarily into Hawkeye or weren't necessarily into Moon Knight are still going to watch Miss Marvel. They're going to watch She-Hulk because it's like, well, I'm going to watch the next thing because that's what you expect out of a product line. It's like, I'm still going to play with it. Um, I just I think we're getting to a point where the franchises like they continue to work for their, the businesses, obviously, and clearly we're still invested in it. But I'm hoping that we also find ways to take chances again. And, not, mm-hmm. and and although Stranger Things season four is not taking a chance, it is a fourth installment in a major, major beloved franchise. There is something special about it that I think I've been really missing from a lot of my genre television um, that I'm hoping we see more of. I hope we see it with Rise of the Dragon. I hope we see it with Lord of the Rings. I hope that we see a little bit of these kind of, well, how do we make this feel really special in an overly crowded space? Um, but yeah, I love that product line. I'm going to, that's great. I'm going to yeah, use take that. It. I'm going to steal it from you. Um, well, and, and I think what's interesting too, I mean, you talk about the conservatism of the Star Wars, uh, shows up to now. And I, I think there are some reasons for that, right? They got their, they got kind of punched in the face with the, uh, with the sequel trilogy where, uh, and the, and the little, um, and Solo and, and Rogue One where they're yes. like, oh, people are not going to just throw money at us for everything. We, 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 you know, we have some issues here. And so they turn to, John Favreau and Dave Filoni and they have them do Mandalorian and it turns out it's very successful but again it was sort of you know they 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 were in an era the stuff we've seen up to now has all been kind of like them pulling back and not them putting on the foot on the gas like Obi-Wan is by all accounts based on a feature that was supposed to follow solo basically and they said nope we're not doing any standalone uh, standalone features anymore and they turned it into this six part show but like so they need to get there 
In contrast to Marvel, which is, again, another Disney-owned product line. And if we tick off the boxes of the of the Marvel shows that have uh, have been on Disney+, Plus, yeah, Falcon and Winter Soldier was extremely conventional. But, like, WandaVision was very weird. Um, and I wanted... Uh, Hawkeye, while, while being a very familiar face, had a bunch of elements that made it quirky. Uh, I'm not... You know, everybody can debate how they felt about Hawkeye, but the fact that it's a, a Christmas thing and that there's a little more humor in it. And then Moon Knight has no connection, other than that it's based on a Marvel comic book hero, zero connection to the Marvel cinematic universe at all. There are no, it's, it, it, at never, at no point did it feel like they were, you know, introducing plot points to carry forward the larger story. It's just out there. And yeah. thus far, Ms. Marvel is very much back in the, back in the mix in terms of being referential of the Marvel universe, but also has a totally different tone that they're trying to get the kind of, you know, teen. I had a friend who said, uh, if you're looking for that, what that Spider-Man TV show would look like if they made a Spider-Man TV show today, uh, Ms. Marvel is it, right? It is a yeah, kid and it's in also high school. Just like the, the visuals that they do with, and we'll get into Ms. Marvel in a second, but the visual, the, the way that they use emojis. Oh my God. I was blown away. Tell yeah. stories is, yeah. I mean, it's, Someone said it, it felt like um, Scott Pilgrim if you took away the kind of weird Michael Sarah awkwardness. And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you know what? That's a yeah. really good kind of comparison. But yeah. I will say just one last point on Star Wars, which is I know that I spent two minutes rambling about how I want them to take chances. There was an interview with Hayden Christensen, who plays uh, Anakin or Darth Vader. And they said, what if what if Lucasfilm said we wanted to do like a, a, like a mini series based around Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker? Would you be up to it? And Hayden Christensen was like, yes, like, I love the character. I'd be so into it. And there was a part of me that was like, if we would get like an emo Darth Vader is mm. sad in his own feelings show, like I would like that would be like my show of the year. Like Not, if it was just like Darth Vader, like hanging out by himself mm. being sad. Well, so I would love it. So, so one funny thing about the synergy between um Star Wars and and uh, Marvel because they're both owned by Disney is that yeah. Marvel took over all the Star Wars comics when that happened yes. and there is a Darth Vader comic that has introduced a bunch of really interesting characters and you're like yes. how could there even be a Darth Vader comic and the answer is it's actually really good and oh, yeah. it's sh- I, I, I feel like maybe in the truest tradition of Marvel trying stuff out in the comics before they make the movies I think that Darth Vader series I, I would have been skeptical about the idea of like could they do Darth Vader as a series but having read the comic, I'm like, you totally could. It, it, I know what it would be, at least based on that vision of the of that comic, you know. And and yeah, he's the bad guy, but he's also got his own motivations and is sad and is being manipulated by the emperor. And he's got his own minions. And they introduced like this uh, this bounty hunter uh dr afra basically and she is a is she a bounty hunter i mean she's a bad doctor she's a very bad doctor and she has evil droids she has basically an evil r2d2 and c3po and it's amazing and hilarious and weird so yes take chances like that that would be awesome i agree even if it was with an established character like darth vader if if you made a show of it and you're like what (laughs) that is the that is the reaction you want it's like let's get a little weird let's try some stuff because kevin feige has shown um i'd say some fearlessness at times in saying this movie or this Disney Plus series is going to be different. And like Star Wars needs to do that, too. I mean, it's the Thor Ragnarok strategy, right? It yeah, is literally like exactly. Taika coming in and being like, Thor's broken. It's not a good character. Why don't we just have fun with it? And yeah. and, and and it's what they've did with. Yeah, I mean, he's really good. Um, and by he, I mean, Kevin Feige uh, is really good at letting. I mean, directors have to play within the sandbox. Like there are overarching sure. things that they have to hit. But for the most part, I would say if you look at a lot of the movies that have come out in the in in the third uh, phase of the MCU, a lot of them were more voicey than a lot of the first and second ones were, where they were kind of setting things up. And the second one was more voice than the first one. So I kind of keep hoping that as the phases go on, and especially as the TV series come in, you can do a lot more with TV and you can experiment for a lot less money and there's like less worry that if you blow this you're not going to blow a 250 million dollar project uh that like is is a public failure yeah um yeah i kind of hope that that star wars takes that chance too but that brings us to our next thing which is very interesting because we both watch star wars and marvel shows and star wars and marvel shows drop on the same day on disney plus yeah (laughs) they drop on wednesdays yeah so this is my this is my family's question is one why why are obi-wan they they have gotten trained now that there's a marvel or star wars show on yeah 
at one time because that's been the case up to now but right now obi-wan and ms marvel are both going out simultaneously and then the sub question there is they also go out at the same time because disney only has a single release day for its stuff and and so i wanted to ask you one why do you think that they did this and do you think it's a good idea and two if you're gonna drop stuff from different product lines or or just have a lot of stuff to drop is it better to be like netflix and i can't we're we're back to asking is it better to be like netflix or not again for another (laughs) subject but but like netflix drops everything at once is it better to be like netflix and drop everything at once or should you counter should you counter program and say you know tuesday is marvel day and wednesday is star wars day instead of saying disney plus just drops everything at once and you have to choose whether you want to watch ms marvel or obi-wan tonight yeah so i was i was tweeting about this uh i feel like i was tweeting about this will be the name of my my memoir but Great. uh I, I was tweeting about this and the so to tie it back to netflix for an extent the thing that netflix really had going for it when there was no competition was that Netflix trained people within their remotes. They put a button on a lot of those remotes and they trained people that the minute they opened their TV to open Netflix. Like that was their big win was instead of going to cable necessarily, you would open Netflix. And you're like, there's probably something new here on a Friday. And then throughout the week, there's probably my favorite show or movie that I'm going to want to watch. That muscle memory, like that consumer behavior is so hard to implement. But if you can do it, it is the strongest, strongest retention practice that you have it is not it is people not even questioning why they're opening it they are just opening it so for netflix my assumption i don't have any data from the their team on this my assumption is even if there wasn't necessarily anything new if even if people opened the app looked around for 10 minutes and then closed it the idea that someone were, was going to open that app every single day or every two days or every single week would have led to less churn because people felt like it was still inherently valuable to them even if they weren't watching as much as they thought they were watching because of the amount of times they opened the app. So at Disney, Disney's managed to do the same thing. You talked about your family kind of really understanding that on Wednesday, there's a new Star Wars, there's a new Marvel. People open Disney Plus on Wednesday, even if they don't know what's out. They're just kind of like, there's something on Disney Plus on Wednesday, new Marvel, new Star Wars that I'm probably going to be interested in, so I'm going to watch it, which is fun. And it's a, and, it, and it shows the strength in how they've really managed to own a day of the week in the in the same way that I don't think anyone has done on television since, you know, NBC on Thursday and uh, HBO on Sunday. But what's really frustrating is like you have these two major brands. You can train people pretty easily to open an app Tuesday and Wednesday. And it's especially frustrating because Marvel, to your point earlier, has a comics business where things come out on Wednesdays. So you can do this really great integration that's like, hey, there's a new Marvel show or whatever. Also, like there's a new Marvel comic based on this character or there's a new bundle based on this character that you can see like for people... I'm thinking of young teens who tend to watch things on iPads or, or computers more so than necessarily sitting down in front of a television set. They're going to be able to have an access to one click. They can go to like the Marvel comics. They can go to whatever they're going to do. And they can read that on top of watching the show because you've trained people already to say like Wednesday is Marvel day. Like there's a reason that this is a big day. And then if you wanted, you have Star Wars, you know, kind of have its own day of the week where people are really excited about it. You can do something on on Tuesday. And because and and so the the, over, the question is, well, what happens if they don't have something on Tuesday or Wednesday because they don't have a new show? But they want to get to, remember, something like 10 Star Wars and Marvel shows a year. Like, they are not going to run out of these shows to put out. The, the, the question for them is, how do you counter, how do you run into not counter programming yourself? How do you run into, like, I, I opened uh, Disney Plus last Wednesday. Yes, last Wednesday to watch Obi-Wan. And I knew that Miss Marvel was out because like Jason, we spend a lot of our time reading about streaming. So I was just, I was aware like there was Miss Marvel was out and I was with my friends and my partner and they, all of them were like, Miss Marvel's out. They're like, well, I haven't seen, why has anyone talked about it? And I was like, oh, my Twitter, it's all, it's the only thing people are talking about. And they're like, no, but like Obi-Wan is on Wednesdays. Like in their mind, they were still like, well, why would, and they're not in the industry at all. And they're like, why would Disney have two? Cause you can only put one on the main, in the main banner, right? Unless you're flicking over. You only put one show there. What show do you put up? How do you make sure that people are aware of it? It feels like a missed opportunity to say we can own two days of the week instead of doing what seems like building a programming block. And programming blocks are really necessary in broadcast days. Like the idea, again, like NBC had Thursdays and they would run like three or four shows uh, in the span of like 7 to 11 p.m. And this was the programming block. And advertisers really love that programming block because what, what, what NBC would do would be like, 
oh, there's three Law and Orders. And the people who watch the first one are probably going to watch the third one. And I can tell you that's probably true. And so, hey, if you run your ads throughout the block, you're going to get a really strong audience. That makes a ton of sense. On Disney Plus or on any streaming service, where the goal is to get people to open the app often enough that they think it is inherently valuable to their lives and they will stay with you through price increases and they'll stay with you month after month or year after year to ensure that your retention rate is good, to ensure that you have sustainable revenue, to ensure that you can then put that revenue back into content creation. It's not programming blocks. It is you have to get people to open that app two or three, four times a week. And so I think like Netflix had, again, that first point with the muscle memory. And it was that's why I think for a long time, Netflix had low churn. It was like muscle memory, good content, and people's favorite content. Now they're losing people's favorite content. The quality of content is coming up uh, into question. And there's more competition. So people might be opening up different things. So therefore, they're not like, oh, you know, when was the last time I opened Netflix? That used to never be a question. And now with Disney, there's this opportunity, this really strong opportunity that no other company has because no other company has Marvel and Star Wars in 2022 for them to say, we're going to own Tuesday and Wednesday. We're going to own Wednesday and Thursday. We're going to own Wednesday and whatever day it is. And we're going to make these days that people automatically open up our app and not someone else's app. It's my lengthy answer. <laughs> that answers my question, right? Which is make it, make it, it's appointment viewing, like we used to say, right? Yes. It's, it's must-see TV or Law & Order, always, we got to mention Law & Order here. I feel like we're going to need to work something up where the, the clunk-clunk sound happens every time we mention Law & Order on here, because <laughs> we mention it a lot. Uh, but yeah, that that idea of Thursday nights, I'm just on NBC, and there's a bunch of shows that I watch there. And that happened for like a decade, and the shows changed, but it didn't matter. It was appointment viewing. You just turned the channel to NBC. So the idea here is, you get your night, why spread out your stuff? You want to make that impact and just guarantee that there will be something new for you most of the time when you open that app whether it's you know Thursday for Paramount I think and Friday for Apple TV and Friday for Netflix and Wednesday for Disney and that's just how it is uh, appointment viewing okay good answer good answer uh, let's move on um, really quick thing about uh, Hollywood things just because I, I'm interested in your take and and, and it, it seems to have been a surprising big story which is at Disney speaking of Disney um, Peter Rice, who was the head of all <laughs> Disney entertainment and programming, was fired by Bob Chapek, the head of Disney, um, and his lieutenant, uh, Dana Walden, was promoted to be in charge of all of that. Both of them came over from Fox in the merger. It is interesting to note that, yes, the entertainment head at Disney was acquired from Fox as part of that. This was not one of those sort of like, you know, all fire all the Fox people and keep all the Disney people in place. Um, uh, it was a, it was unexpected by everyone, apparently even by Peter Rice. Hollywood loves a, a, a story like that, right? Where Bob Chapek basically summons Peter Rice and says, you're fired. Um, and he had no idea it was going to happen. Um, a lot of speculation out there that maybe he was, um, he was, even if he wasn't angling for it, that he was a potential candidate to replace Bob Chapek and might have threatened Bob Chapek with his presence there. Bob Chapek is kind of embattled right now. It's unclear the board. The board of Disney issued a statement that said we support Bob's decision, but it was the most lukewarm support. And and as many people pointed out, he's only got eight months left on his contract. How much support does he really have if they haven't renewed his contract? So that's out there. Apparently, Rice did talk to Warner Brothers Discovery at least a little bit about taking the uh, job there, reporting to, to Zaz. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, basically said, no, I'm not interested at this time and, and, and backed away. Um, he is Rice is generally, it seems, very uh, much liked uh, a lot of esteem for him in Hollywood. A lot of people were aghast that this happened. Um, somebody pointed out that Bob Chapek and everybody on literally everybody on Disney's board basically has no Hollywood experience at all. And so there's now a perception that the people running Disney have lost the plot and don't understand how it works in the entertainment business and the relationships you have to have to create uh, the stuff that you want to create. So that's out there. And then my last bullet point before I turn it over to you is I wanted to point out, as far as I can tell, people think Dana Walden is great. And this story is not just about Peter Rice being fired, but about Dana Walden being promoted. And I definitely read a bunch of stories that said, the thing is... 
Dana Walden wasn't going to stay there because she's really great and there are other opportunities that are going to come up and she's going to be running the show somewhere else. And, uh, you know, it may not be the case, but but with all this other stuff in the mix, I could see a scenario where you're looking at these two executives and you're saying, I'm going to lose one of them and she's the one I don't want to lose and just making the move. Uh, maybe that's Bob Chapex people talking, but it's something that I thought about. So what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think that was probably the best summary of this that I've seen since right. this has happened. I'm summarizing. Um, That's what I'm doing. It, no, it, it was great. Um, it's complicated, right? I, I don't have any inside intel. There was a really great story by Joe Flint in the journal we can put into the show notes um, that really kind of dove into what, what, what's been going on. I think Peter Rice is one of the greatest heads of television content in decades. He's extremely good at his job. I think Peter Rice really works well under an executive like a Bob Iger, who it believes in kind of, I mean, there's a lot of collaboration, but Bob Iger and Peter Rice are much more like, I'm in charge of my section. I know it's good for my section. I know I'm going to fight for my section. I know exactly what I need to be doing at any given moment. And I like working like that. Chapek is a lot more collaborative. And I think when he brought in Kareem Daniel, who's kind of his right-hand man and now oversees all of Disney media and entertainment distribution. And it made it more so that a lot of these abilities were taken away from people like Peter Rice and from Kathleen Kennedy at Lucasfilm and, and Kevin Feige at Marvel and um, the all of these kind of certain decisions, whether it's greenlighting power or whether it's the the financial side of it. When they lose part of that and then they're like, hey, can you guys collaborate together and figure out what makes more sense for the business at large? I think that works really well for certain executives. and I think that works less well for other executives. You know, Peter Rice went from building up Fox TV, you know, having a very strong relationship with Rupert Murdoch to kind of moving over to Disney and having a very strong relationship with Bob Iger uh, and kind of and and forming Disney and Fox television, which included FX into the behemoth that it is. I mean, Disney TV was always like that and FX and Fox TV were always big, but he really managed it quite well. And I think what you're seeing is a cultural clash that affects the CEO at the bottom line. And that's not going to work for the CEO, especially a CEO who has to wake up every single morning and see headlines about whether or not he's going to keep his job in eight months. And if, you know, you know, there's, there, there were a bunch of rumors always that Peter Rice was kind of could be next in line, the heir apparent to the Disney throne. And although, according to Joe Flint's article, although he never, you know, encouraged them, he also never squashed them. Like he did not play the political game that Disney kind of requires like you know disney is a company built around lifers a lot of them are there 20 25 years and they kind of make their way up to the top uh it is a company that is known for kind of its cutthroat um competition and then support they support one another but there is a lot of competition it's a lot of the best grads or the best business schools like it's, it's the top programmers like disney is an a1 a plus type company um and i think that culture is beginning to shift a little bit under Chapek in a way that it was not necessarily shifted under Iger and even Eisner before him. And so someone like Peter Rice, who made a lot of sense in the old kind of regime, makes less sense. And when he's being rumored for a top spot is kind of a, a person to be feared, especially if you're Bob Chapek again and you are dealing with a lot of blowback. And at the same time, Bob Chapek has grown the business phenomenally. Like he's brought the business out of out of covid he is seeing the uh, the direct-to-consumer shift through pretty well. He's trying to figure out how to, you know, the thing about the direct-to-consumer relationship on the video side is that he came from Parks, right? Parks is a direct-to-consumer business. Yeah. It is a very different business. Yeah. But it's direct-to-consumer. You know, that they're trying to figure out what the next thing is, whether that's the quote-unquote metaverse, like whatever it is. He's kind of guiding the company through that. And I think he's doing a decent job. The public blowback is the question about, like, to the board about whether or not they want to face. And Peter Rice is this guy who's really good with talent. Uh, he's super, sh super sharp. He's super smart. He seems like he might have a better way of dealing with the publicity of it all. Um, but we don't really know. And so I think to your your last point, because I think you're exactly right. It wasn't that Peter Rice was out and all of a sudden there's someone who is less capable taking his spot. Dana Walden is exceptionally good. Dana Walden could have gone and headed up a whole division under da David Zaslav over at Warner Brothers Discovery. Like there are opportunities for her. She could have gone to Apple and headed stuff up. Like there's there's opportunities for her everywhere. And I do think she's probably a little bit more collaborative with Bob Chapek, mm. even if with no one else, especially with him. You know, right before this news happened about a month ago, there was a 
long variety cover story on Dana Walden that included some very flattering quotes from Bob Chapek. And I was talking to someone who mentioned that Dana Walden has been trying to get that, you know, story done for some time. Uh, and it finally kind of landed at Variety and that those stories have the backing of all the executives and the PR team. And so although, you know, Chapek had signed this multi-deal with Peter Rice just, you know, just last year, although publicly he was always very, very supportive. And I think, he, you know, I think, he, I think he does believe in Peter Rice's abilities. He also has been setting the stone for kind of Dana Walden to be his one of his right hand people for, for some time. And so while I think the dismissal of Peter Rice is massive news in Hollywood, it's massive news within the Disney kind of group. It's not one of those things where I'm worried about what happens to Disney. It feels like a CEO in still in his early tenure, figuring out who his inner circle is, who he wants in his inner circle, who he wants to collaborate with. And if him and Peter Rice were butting heads for whatever reason, whether it was the new structure under Kareem Daniel, whether it was rumors that maybe got to one of them about, you know, potentially Peter Rice becoming becoming CEO one day of Disney, whatever those reasons might be. It's easier for Chapek to say, well, he's not a culture fit, which is the line they use that doesn't work culturally with yeah. us. Uh, so he's out and we're going to rely on Dana. But I mean, anyone who is studies business, anyone who reads the news, anyone who watches Succession knows that all of these moves are extremely political. So I would expect to hear more about it in the weeks to come from The Hollywood Reporter, from The Journal, from The Times as more details come out. But I also don't think Peter Rice will be gone long. I think he will be picked up rather quickly. Yeah. My understanding is he's got also they, another weird thing I didn't mention this is bad on my part as summarizer. Um, he he got a contract extension last summer for three years. Yeah. So he's got two years yeah. left on his deal. It's like, well, he was such a bad culture fit that they, they gave him a three year extension not that long ago. Um, so he's got uh, he's got money uh, and he will be wanted. But yeah, I I don't know what happened in this case, but I can I can tell you as somebody who used to have senior vice president as his title that sometimes what happens really is like literally I I like working with this person and we're going to lose her and her boss is somebody I don't like or I don't like working with or we butt heads or or there is a I mean you call it a culture fit oftentimes that is like I'm the CEO and we don't get along and yeah. that's a culture fit problem because I'm the CEO <laughs> and I want to get along with people. And it's like, if I'm going to lose the one I like in order to keep the one I don't like, even if he's really good at his job and everybody loves him, like that's where you end up in a scenario like this. I'm not saying that that's what happened here, but I've totally seen stuff like this happen before where it, it ends up being you know that you even if there wasn't a precipitating event like she got a job offer or it looked like she was going to get a job offer it, it's something that i've seen happen where 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 you say well if i have to choose and i only get to keep one of them i'm going to pick this one and when you pick one that means the other one has to go so exactly that i get those vibes from this a little bit too that whatever the extenuating circumstances were anyway they they end up with dana walden who i mean Bad news for everybody who loves Peter Rice is Peter Rice got fired and everybody's outraged about it. The good news is Dana Walden is also pretty respected so far as I can tell. And so th that'll continue on. You know, my entertainment chess move would be and I just it, it I don't think it would work because of the structure of stuff and just the PR of it all. But Peter Rice over to a company that really needs help with its content direction, like Peter Rice over to Netflix, mm. kind of coming in above Bella. And I mean, again, there's like issues with the structure of Netflix, and I don't necessarily yeah. know if they would allow for it. But and I, and I think Netflix's culture, I don't know if it would necessarily work well with with Peter Rice, but there's a company that really needs a strong, strong leader with great talent resources with an eye for good TV uh, and really needs to create, you know, in its next development cycle, some smash hits there. There's an opportunity there, but again, yeah, Peter Rice, like there's a lot of opportunity for for him wherever yeah. he goes. And he might just do the thing that a lot of execs do that. I, I talked to a bunch of executives who either get ousted or, or they move on to their own thing. And I always ask them like, what's next? And they're like, I'm going to take breakfast. Like I'm going to eat breakfast for like a month and then I'll figure I'll like, yeah. begin to think of it. Cause they make so much money. Yeah. These are tight. Like, these are type Whatever. A people and they, they're making so much money that they're not hurting. They don't have to go right back to work, but they are type no. A people. Um, yes. They th then again, they also have been working so hard grinding and grinding that, you know, it's that thing, right, where you give them a month off and they're like, 
uh, you think a month. He's got two years left on his contract. He could just sit out for two years. It's like, yeah, he's not going to sit out for two years. But, you know, give him a month and he's going to be desperate to do something, right? Uh, but, yeah, give him let, let him have let him catch up on his sleep deficit for a little bit and then he'll he 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 was apparently by all accounts caught totally off guard by this so there will be time required to kind of like take stock to and figure it out all right we'll watch that one um let's move on and talk briefly about another disney story but one that you don't think we're going to talk about uh cricket but we are the the we're in sports corner now we've got three sports items here first item is disney which owns and operates the star streaming service in india lost out on the bidding for streaming rights to cricket strangely got the linear rights which is weird so they're going to put that on linear tv in 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 uh, India, but they lost their streaming rights, uh, which had previously been a huge driver of subs. They have 50 million subs in India. Um, they lost to Viacom 18, which is a joint venture of Paramount and uh, an Indian media company. Interesting. Paramount uh, swooping in there. They spent three billion dollars for this. So this is a huge rights deal for uh, Premier League uh, cricket in India. But the interesting thing is it's 50 million subs, so it really potentially could hurt the Disney Plus subscription number um, or the, the total Disney streaming subscription number. But the upside, if you want to put it this way, is that the average revenue per user in India is really low. That star subscription was not that um, super low. Yeah, it was super cheap compared to the rest of the world for for Disney streaming subscriptions. So um, I don't know if there's a lot of analysis to do here other than to say that when the next Disney quarterly reports come on, like they're going to talk about this because as, as weird as it is to think as an American, like, wait, Indian cricket rights are going to have a big impact on Disney's business. But yeah, because it's 50 million people subscribing to Star in India for cricket and it's not going to be there anymore. So this is my dream scenario for Disney. Like, it, like without question, it is it is their it is the ability for them to stand back and recast projections. It is their ability to say we're going to focus on developing our service globally and continue to grow it in areas where the ARPU continues to maintain a relatively high level. So they get away from all that conversation, including from Netflix, who goes like, oh, well, you know, Disney has this many subs, but if you look at their ARPU compared to ours. Blah, 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 blah. And it gives them a chance to say, we're going to aim for 200 million Disney Plus subscribers by fiscal year 2024, not 230 to 260. It is the greatest opportunity for them to say, we lost out on this deal. And they won't frame it like that. They'll say that we decided not to pursue that deal because they still get the TV rights. Yeah. To, to, and, and Disney has a massive, massive presence on the cable side in India. And so if you're going to choose between streaming, which doesn't give you any real ARPU or cable, in India, which is still a strong business for a lot of these house for a lot for company because it's in a lot of these households still, you're going to go the linear route. Um, so I think you know, what what will come of this, and what I'm very very excited about is that hopefully is that Disney recasts everything and goes. We are focusing on developing our ARPU as we grow in all these different countries that we're still launching in as we continue to expand international programming and local language content. As we continue to grow within the UK market, where we're still not topped off at, you know, we're barely halfway to where net, uh, or we're just a little bit over halfway to where Netflix is in the, in the United States and, and uh, Canada regions, where the strongest ARPU is. We're going to figure out how we can do this via original programming, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we're still going to figure out how we can do local original content in India that's exclusive to us, whether that's through Bollywood productions that they have a lot of exclusive rights to whether that's through Marvel and Star Wars, whether that's through local language programming they compete with Netflix and Amazon for, in order to continue growing that service, but without worrying that half of our Disney Plus subscribers are, are generating less than a dollar or like just over a dollar in ARPU compared to the $6.50 we're making in the United States and Canada on ARPU. Like it is such a strong moment for them. And also they're not out $2.5 billion. Yeah. My favorite, or $3 billion, my favorite, favorite fact of the story uh, because I'm just someone who lives for any potential petty drama. And I want to be clear, there was no petty drama here. But in my in my head, there was. Because um, <laughs> when Fox, so Disney inherited the IPL rights, right? Like they came from Fox, which was a decision made by Rupert Murdoch's company. Um, <laughs> Viacom 18, uh, one of the lead investors is James Murdoch, who is his son oh, who walked away man. from the company. And Uday Shankar, who was the former head 
of Hotstar and Disney uh, streaming services in India before he left or was potentially ousted. So it's them two leading the campaign to get those streaming rights for Viacom 18. Now, again, there's I doubt there's any real drama there. But in my head, the idea that James Murdoch is the one to take this away from the company who bought this, you know, bought the thing from his father is kind of like a fun little succession moment in my head. Yeah, that's actually a really cool thing that people who are intimately involved in the in the old deal, by the way, you know, put this together and and swooped in and took it away. Um, Interesting. Really interesting. All right. um, Sports Corner continues. In in an announcement just before we came on the the uh, the air, there's no air. We started recording this podcast. (laughs) It's like there's a traffic backing up on I-80, by the way. You should check that out. We're not live. Um, It's a podcast. (laughs) That's not how podcasts work. Apple announced on Tuesday, June 14th, just before we started this, uh, in a joint announcement with... MLS, Major League Soccer, which is the soccer league in the U.S. and Canada, not, you know, one of the world's biggest, but fast growing in a very lucrative market with a World Cup mm-hmm. coming up in 2026. It's a it's it's also a small enough league that the sports rights maybe are a little more affordable and there's a little more experimentation going on. So Apple and MLS announced a deal in which check this out. Apple is buying the rights to stream every single Major League Soccer game. For the next decade, they're going to use the Apple TV Plus platform, but it's actually a little more complex than that. They are going to have a new subscription service for this. So I imagine there's a little inside baseball, but Apple also resells other services inside the Apple TV app. So you can get stars inside there and you pay Apple and Apple pays stars and it unlocks it and you watch it in the TV app. Like Amazon Prime channels. Just like Amazon Prime channels. Well, it sounds like they're probably what they've done here is they're going to create a a streaming service subscription using that infrastructure, but it's going to be exclusive to Apple. It's not (laughs) going to be on other platforms. It's just an Apple thing. But you do, you will have to pay a fee in order to get every MLS game. However, as a part of this, some of the games, there will be some games that will be available to Apple TV Plus subscribers, and there will also be some games that are available to everyone, which I think is an interesting angle where they're like, but what if people don't want to spend all that money on MLS? Well, we're still going to give them a taste. And what if they aren't even on Apple TV Plus? We're still going to give them a taste. There will be some free games. They're going to spread it out a little bit. Major League Baseball does this where there's a free game every day. People don't know. Uh, MLB at bat, uh, the MLB TV, they have the service uh, where you get all the out-of-market games, but they put one out-of-market game on for free every day. They that like it it's a it's an interesting model to like well yeah you can try it out but if you want to have the access to the complete catalog you need to pay us so that's going on the i want to say again no blackouts this has been one of those big things that keeps coming up is sports blackouts which is you can't watch it here because it's over there and this deal means that apple is basically the primary rights holder for every mls game they get it all now they didn't buy any of the linear rights and and i just saw a report uh, that said that from a Joe, Joe Adalian, I believe, at Vulture, who said uh, he was parsing it and, and I think maybe talking to people. There are linear rights still out there. ESPN and Fox and other places are still bidding for linear TV rights to MLS. But any broadcast that was on ESPN or Fox or anywhere else that bought linear rights would also be on Apple. And would not be blacked out where it's available. Would not there wouldn't be like, well, we're we're showing all the MLS games, but not the Tuesday night game that's on ESPN. For that, you have to pay for ESPN. No, if there's a game on ESPN or Fox or wherever else, it will still be available. That is a wild little thing because blackouts are one of the ways that all these different rights holders find value in their rights. And we'll see what how it devalues MLS's rights because it's not they're not going to pay as much for non exclusive mm-hmm. rights, but. Uh, obviously Apple is paying them enough to make it worth their while. Um, also one other quirk I wanted to throw in here is that if you, (laughs) if you get a season ticket to MLS, you get this service. So if you're a season ticket holder to MLS, you will get a code or something, whatever. Part of your season ticket to your local team will include the complete content of mls on uh apple tv and apple gets your data 
and Apple, you, you're now using Apple stuff and you're using their app and you're getting a device that, um, that Apple, uh, you know, that's either an Apple or Apple compatible streaming device or you're using yeah. a, a, a laptop or a tablet or a phone that's either using uh, Apple stuff or Apple's website. So, um, yeah, it's a this is the first, I would say, of this kind of deal. I think it's really interesting because it's MLS like it's a, it's also kind of an interesting experiment, but it feels like this is kind of going to be the ideal kind of future of this sort of thing. But, but uh, you, know, you know what this kind of reminds you, what, you know what this makes me think of, Jason, more than anything else is I was reading it and the way that they kind of describe the app, the way that it like lives on Apple TV devices and, and the way that that infrastructure works and the relationship works. If I'm, a, you know, in charge of something like the NFL or the NHL mm-hmm. or any kind of league that is looking to figure out its streaming future, but also very tied into kind of maintaining its own its own ecosystem and maintaining its own relationship with fans and maintaining that linear presence for some time. What Apple is suggesting is not a bad a- answer, and it's equivalent to what I imagine Amazon would be willing to offer, which is like, hey, you guys can live within our – we're not Apple TV+, Plus, we're not Amazon Prime Video, you don't have to be part of that ecosystem – but you get to have your own app. You can do whatever you want with it, and it lives on our thing. And, and we're going to make sure that the technology backend mm-hmm. is perfect, so you don't have to worry about that. And that is something that none of these other streaming services can do. Like none of them can say like the technology. Like we can make sure the the infrastructure's there. We're going to give you your own app inside of it. Like the other ones are going to say no. Like you're inside ESPN Plus, or right. you're inside HBO Max, or you're inside whatever you're going to be inside of. But Apple and Amazon, because Part of what they want is access to data and just, you know, again, to, to Jason's earlier point, they make a ton of money through these parts of through this kind of distribution deal. Um, they can just say like or they don't necessarily make a ton of money, but it, it is very important to them to kind of have it. Uh, they can just say we will be a home effectively for you. Right. And we think what we really value is that aspect of being able to tap into those customers and bring them into an ecosystem and have them use Apple devices or just whatever it might be on top of the potential partnership opportunities we may have going down the road for documentaries on Apple TV plus or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. I think like this reads to me as a soft launch pitch for other leagues. Yeah, for like, sure. Let's see how this goes. For sure. It's interesting too. We'll see how the linear rights purchase goes for MLS because you might think, well, wait a second, if it's not exclusive, it has no value. And that's not true, right? Like, first off, it's right. it's one of my favorite terms from the television industry. It's inventory. It fills time on linear channels. Linear channels are linear. You have to fill them with content all the time. So putting a, a, a MLS game on FS1 or on ESPN2 or wherever else is valuable still. Also, Hardcore fans are going to spend money on an MLS streaming service. Casual fans aren't. So there's a different market for somebody watching an MLS game on ESPN. What you're saying is basically, well, okay, the hardcore are going to buy the product that uh, Apple is selling and and let's just leave them off. But there are other people who are going to be like, oh, there's a soccer game on or whatever. And they're just not the, the... not as serious about it. That's still an audience. So you get inventory and you still have a potential audience there. So I think we'll see how much this devalues their rights, but I don't think there's like not going to be linear TV for these teams. The local, you know, the local uh, NBC sports Bay area here that does the San Jose earthquake games. I would not, I I would be surprised if they said, no, we're just never going to cover the earthquakes again, because I think they find some value, especially during a time when they maybe don't have a lot of other programming to have, it on their network even if the hardcore have bought the you know bought the package and this takes me to a little tangent which is we've talked about how it sounds like apple has done a deal with the nfl for nfl sunday ticket and they just haven't announced it yet at least that's the rumor is that they are seriously in conversation or may have even done the deal for nfl sunday ticket haven't announced it yet possibly because it doesn't go into effect until next season and there would be a lot of confusion this fall if they announced it but if they do that deal that's interesting because it does have blackouts but it is another one of these things that would presumably put be done in this same way where it's a separate subscription service, just like this MLS thing is going to be, perhaps with some extra games that they pull out and give to Apple TV Plus subscribers or whatever. But um, it's an interesting model. Now, that model is a little different because of the blackout, the local blackout rule. But I do wonder at, when we talk about how the how this all flips 
uh, from being the last like bulwark of cable being live sports to a scenario where streaming doesn't kill sports on cable, but overlays it in a way that this MLS deal does, you know, in the long run, does Apple's deal, if they have one with NFL Sunday ticket, perhaps include local games with no blackouts. And if they did that, would be like, okay, the games still have value value on your local TV station. Because if you're somebody who has cable or broadcast, you get to see the game and you didn't pay the NFL anything for that. But but, but the super fan will pay. And why don't if they're going to pay, why don't we give them the local broadcast too, right? Why why should we how how does you know, does the extra value you get from having Apple involved uh offset the slightly less value of your local broadcast rights i don't know it's just it's there are a lot of moving pieces here but i i think of the sunday ticket deal which potentially is happening in the same lens as the mls deal and i think um this is all really interesting of like ways where you could push it the fact that it's that there are no blackouts is a real potential game changer oh yeah what for a sports beautiful phrase just no blackouts. no blackouts what right a, like imagine I, and and, and yeah. there's rumors that major league baseball has been thinking about doing something like this and it would require renegotiation but i do wonder if at some point the regional sports networks which we're about to talk about again but we've talked about before on this show will that they'll have the upper hand over them we're like no no we're not saying that you aren't going to broadcast your local teams what we're saying is that if somebody signs up for mlb tv they're not going to be blacked out anymore and that's going to change the dynamic a little bit. But again, I would argue the only people you're losing are people who are only buying cable or only buying a service like Fubo or YouTube TV or Hulu Live to get your local sports team. Those people will go to MLB TV and you will lose them. But you're going to keep all the people who just have cable and are just watching the the the, the local baseball team on cable. There's they'll st- still be there. And how ba- how badly will that hurt the ratings? Well, in the short term probably not a lot, and in the long term probably a lot. But that's just where we are. So, uh interesting to see. So the other point here to throw into the mix is our th- is our third topic in sports corner, which is uh the first regional sports network to go over the top. The New England Sports Network, Nessun, who broadcasts the Red Sox, announced that they are going to create an over-the-top streaming service called Nessun mm-hmm. 360. Thank you for not calling it Nessun Plus. $30 a month. So not cheap. And none of these things are going to be cheap. But if you're a cord cutter and you want to watch all the Red Sox games, guess what? Or at least all the ones that aren't an exclusive for Apple TV or Peacock or ESPN, but all of your local cable Red Sox games where most of the games are, you are going to be able, and the Bruins too, the Bruins will be covered in this too, $30 a month. And then there's, there's an annual fee that you also get like eight Red Sox tickets with, which is hilarious. Uh, the, that, uh, they're just going to go over the top. So basically if you don't, if you don't want cable anymore, but you want to see the Red Sox, you won't have to pay, um, YouTube or Fubo or Hulu that 60 or $70 a month just to get in the door for their bundle. You just pay 30 straight to Nesson and you get just the Red Sox. Which is beautiful. The Interesting. Amount of t- days that I sit beside my partner who we have, we have YouTube TV. YouTube TV does no longer, no longer carries guests. Oh no. Uh, so all the Yankees games, he's a Yankees fan. I'm a Mets fan. I mean, it's beautiful for me. It's just, we become a Mets household. So oh. I can watch the Mets whenever I want, but, uh, there's 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 no yankees and although this sounds this sounds this sounds like it may not fix that issue because yes it's its own special network of of hell to kind of figure out um it's it's beautiful i just love like what we're talking about is making things available to people like what the what the bottom what the through line of jason's like i love sports corner by the way we should do sports corner yeah. every two weeks <laughs> uh, uh like what the through line is like people want access to something because of insane rigid rights restrictions People cannot get access to their local teams oftentimes without a, a headaches full of nothing but chaos. And what we're trying to solve in this new world is how can we get you access to this for a simple fee that you pay while your season is on, basically. Like you're not going to continue paying for this unless you're into every sport. Like if you're just a baseball person, like Jason's point about the Sox, just want to watch the Red Sox, like you're going to have it for the season that you're going to have it on. This is beautiful. This is, if it works, it's great. Like if if it yeah. works, if it, if it actually if there's uh, enough people, if there's enough subscribers to generate enough revenue for the company itself to say like yes, this is worth it for the RSN to say like yes, this is worth it for us. We're going to kind of be all in. 
it's great because I think the world of sports on cable and broadcast and especially as streaming has come into play, you have players like Amazon and ESPN Plus, Paramount Plus, the, them all figuring stuff out. Yeah. Having just like, hey, I want my, I want to know I can watch my team without worrying about not being able to watch my team and it's worth 30 bucks a month or whatever it might be. Like that is such an easy purchase in my mind. It's like, yes. Yeah, it, it's um, I should be clear too. the right now. What the way it works is that the Major League Baseball, uh, their TV service is out of market. So Nesson is only available in market. So if you were a Red Sox fan in California, you just get the MLB TV app and it's cheaper than than the Nesson 360. But if you're local, you can't you're blacked out for the Red Sox. So whether this is the model is or it's just a transitional model um doesn't really matter it's it's i feel like with these two stories and if you throw in the potential of nfl sunday ticket that third story we are starting to see some of the cracks we are starting to see some of the movement that is happening due to moving to streaming and people cutting the cord but still wanting to have sports and sports entities wanting to make money from the people who are cutting the cord and i imagine there is something very specific in nesson's deal with its cable providers that allowed them to do this first and you know it's probably not just that they're the only the only executives in all regional sports networks who ever thought this right that's not it it's probably that somebody a lawyer had an at Denison was like, you know, based on our contract, we could do this. And they're like, what? Let's do it. Right. So it might be harder because you're going to potentially have to give back money. Your your cable partners may say, we're not going to pay you per subscriber or we're not going to pay you as much per subscriber anymore. And that is a tough thing to swallow. But then you look at this and say, yeah, but they're all going to go pay us $30 a month direct. So we'll take it. <laughs> right. We'll see how it goes for Nesson. But uh, it's exciting times. Um in sports streaming rights anyway yes yes all right um we we have you know i always talk about us uh reading letters and we're gonna run out of time uh for reading letters again because it's we've already been going for, for an hour um, let me let me do i'm gonna I, i've got a perennial topic that we're gonna say for next time i'm gonna Love do it. a letter let's do Let's do a letter really quick before we go, and the rest of them are just going to get kicked back uh, an episode. Sorry, everybody. Uh, I love it. Uh, this is from George. With the rising stakes of streaming continuing to rise, rising, do you think that it'll start affecting studio decisions on taking on risky or weird projects, whether they're movies or shows? There once was a time when it seemed like a pitch meeting would sound something like, well, that sounds weird. Yeah, do it. We'll put it on streaming. But every streaming service is looking for the next hit. So are we going to see more or less weird or out there options being greenlit? If more... Would level of weirdness or type of weirdness become a distinctive thing that sets apart one streaming service from another? Also, Julia, director of strategy, is so cool. Can you please create and bestow upon Jason an honorary title for the realm of Ooh. downstream? Love to your mother's George. Well, first yes. off, we need to start with um, what my my downstream title. So y you can come up with it now, or you can think about it and, and bestow it upon me later. It's your no, decision. I want to think of it. I want to come into okay. the next one with like a full on title. Because right, then I'll introduce you as director title. of strategy, and then you'll introduce me as whatever yes. I am then. Yes. Okay. Excellent. All right. What do you think about this idea that that as the dynamics of of streaming services shift, do you think we're likely to see less quirky, risky programming, or is it still a a part of any programmer's toolkit? You will see it if you are on the app. You will not see it in terms of marketing. You will not get an ad for <laughs> a a risky show. But they will make it. They will. Do you think of like the best stuff that Netflix and HBO Max and Hulu make? And like half of them don't get advertised because they're it's weird. So they're like, how do we market this? But we need content that we can recommend to specific taste clusters. Like the way a lot of the streamers work is they seek out taste clusters and then they kind of figure out, well, how do we keep this taste cluster happy and this taste cluster? You know, what is the white space taste cluster for us to navigate into potentially market to potentially cater towards in order to build our, our, our service, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's kind of that's how anime became a big topic with mm. them because they were like, there's a group who likes anime. And if we keep making anime, they bring their anime friends in and, and we kind of grow from there. I'd say a lot of prestige stuff is weird, risky too, right? But that's the stuff that you do. That's like, I mean, Apple, like Severance is like that. Like there, there's, so, but then again, but Severance how- had Adam Scott. Yeah, right? that's it's kind true. Of, it's one of those things where it's like, is the talent enough? I mean, if we think about True Detective season one, like the concept of that show was weird, but it had Matt McConaughey and, and right. Harrelson. So it's like, we're going to market it. I mean, also HBO can just market their shows because they do select few. But I think what's really fun 
is that over the last six months or so, some of the most in-demand talked about movies and TV shows have been inherently um, uh, just not IP-based. Like, it is everything, everywhere, all at once. is like the biggest success story in theaters. Um, Our Flag Means Death is one of the biggest success stories on HBO Max. You've got um, Squid Game is one of the biggest hits on, on Netflix, right? Like, it's all Queen's Gambit. Like, none of these shows... I wouldn't use the word weird or, or quirky, but I would say like they're very original, unique shows that are not based on IP. I think what you're seeing happen is because they need to have reliable incremental, if not exponential subscriber growth and low churn, they market a lot of their big stuff based on IP or based on directors known for IP. Like, I don't know if you've noticed that with Netflix because they don't have big IP. What they'll really rely on is like the Russo brothers like last night during the basketball game, there were two ads for a Netflix movie, which yeah. Netflix never ever does. And it was like from the directors of Avengers Endgame, right? Like it was like, it's like that's our IP, our way into IP. Um, but for the most part, what they're going to market and therefore what we're talking about, because it's what people tend to seek out, uh, is the big IP stuff. You know, you've got look at Peacock and Paramount. They're kind of recycling old IP from their film studios to turn into TV or remaking old TV shows into new ones. And it makes sense. It's it's more of a, it's a safety net. It's they can, well, there's an audience into this already, whether nostalgic or just kind of aware of stuff like alien, right? Like we're going to do an alien show on FX because there's an audience who's super into it. Um, so it's, it's less of a risky bet, but because of the amount of content that's being made, which is more than ever in history, there is a lot of really cool, unique stuff being made all the time. You just have to like seek it out because if you, because it's there, it's, it's, it's hidden within these apps um, and unless they really take off, you know, think about the fact that Netflix didn't market Squid Game, right? Like that show took off and it was like, oh, I guess we should market it yeah. to like mm. part of the U.S. Uh, you know, when was the last time HBO Max did not market Our Flag Means Death? Um, like they don't really market these things. Um, E24 did a little bit of marketing. I mean, E24 is a different case because of, of how they operate um, for, our, uh, for everything everywhere all at once. But that movie, they actually took over the international distribution rights, which they never do in order to kind of get it out faster. So. This stuff is super in demand in part because people don't necessarily just want to watch the big blockbuster franchise thing that kind of feels similar over and over again. Um, But because of how the economics of those platforms work, it's very rare you're going to see marketing for it. And therefore, the awareness of those things is just way down. Interesting. Like, yeah, it's 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 a business, but there are there are always places where weird things will happen. Well, just like as (laughs) blockbusters will happen. Yeah, like as we're recording this, I'm like kind of looking at Twitter while Jason and I talk um, because I have major ADD. And there's like this news from Netflix that they're going to make a Squid Game competition show called Squid Game The Challenge. Uh, and it's like the biggest reality show. Shocker. And on the one hand, <laughs> on the one hand, it's like poor media literacy. But on the other hand, it's like, of course, because Squid Game is now one of their major IPs. So how does Netflix go like, well, what are we going to spend our money on that we think we can actually get? Like, it's going to be a reality show that that is based on squid game that people are automatically going to tune into and that show will get a lot of marketing play because it makes a lot of sense even though netflix is making some of the best adult animated shows that don't get any shout out or they're making some of the some great comedies series that don't get any shout out because it's like well we can't market that it's not it's how do we convince people to come and watch this new show that we really just mean for one taste cluster and that might be your taste it might be your exact taste versus are we going to market the hell out of a Squid Game reality show? Of course they are. Like, of course they are. Again, media literacy about that show aside, because clearly there there is none. Um, so, yeah, I think it's like to Jason's point, it is a business. They have to do things that work for the business. But again, think of how much money they're spending on content. I promise you they're taking risky bets. You're just not hearing about them. All right. Well, that is going to wrap this up again. We will um, do more letters next time. I promise. I promise. One of these days, the all letter show is going to happen, but it hasn't (laughs) happened yet. Uh, You can email us downstream at relay.fm. We do love your letters. Sometimes they influence topics as happened today. If we didn't read the letter, we just did it as a topic. You can also tweet at us, of course, at downstream pod. Love to your mothers. You can find Director of Strategy Julia at Loudmouth Julia on Twitter and ParrotAnalytics.com. You can find me, Title Unknown, at JSnell on Twitter and SixColors.com. And that's it. Until next time, uh, bye, Julia. Bye, Jason. Thank you.